This is Small Changes, Stark Reality on jasoncharles.net. Hi, party people. How the hell are you? Another episode of Stark Reality coming your way. This time rolling out the red carpet to my hometown, Long Beach, California, and Kathleen uh, Schaff, who runs Meow's Vintage and has been operating that store since 1986 and even digging before that in the late 70s. She's known as the Queen of Vintage and her store is on 4th Street in downtown Long Beach, which is now known as Retro Row, but uh, she was the first vintage shop on that street. And we talk about a number of things, her digging for clothes back in the 70s and 80s, going on road trips around the country to find dead stock, jean vendors, a.k.a. denim dogs, T-shirts, that whole scene, West Coast classic surf labels like Hang 10 and OP, fast fashion, underground music scenes and how they related to vintage clothes, different trends in vintage as times change, newer buyers and how they shop, and staying excited about digging for clothes after, like I said, four or five decades in the game. She is the coolest, her taste is impeccable, and Meow's is one of those real, true, curated vintage shops. It was really great to talk to her, and, uh... Enjoy. She also gives us a nice playlist of underground rock, punk, etc. Kathleen Schaff from Meow's Vintage here on Stark Reality. I'm in my basement. Sorry, the light. The lighting's like behind me, so it's kind of like we're we're just using the audio, though. But I figure it's kind of nice to talk face to face anyway. Um, are you having bad rain there? Uh, no, we had rain a couple days ago, but um, you know, it's uh, it's actually pretty hot day. Yeah. Today, but it's sort of like. New York has this weird tropical thing where it'll just get crazy humid, more and more humid, and then it's like you know there's gonna it's gonna erupt at some point. It has this yeah. kind of summer cycle, you know. So it's a, it's kind of like it's funny because then you know when I talk to my parents, it's like it's like never <laughs> raining in Southern California yeah. at all, but in New York it'll be just like you know the humi- the humidity will just be god awful, and you almost like can't wait for the rain but you don't want to be caught in it because it it really is like 
a downpour for like half an hour and then it's like totally. normal. But if you're caught in that, you're like completely soaked. Let's see if I can rearrange this. So what are you what are you doing now in your day to day besides this? Well, this is <laughs> you know what's really funny is at one point one of these people, you know, in the podcast world or whatever, um well there was at one point I remember hearing that someone got a $50,000 like PPP loan for their podcast. And I'm like, oh, yo, wow. I missed out on that shit. <laughs> oh, wow. You know what I mean? But, uh, cause, uh, no, this isn't really for money. Just like my radio show really isn't for money. It's, it's just more like underground. I do like weddings and private events. So yeah, that's actually how that's the stuff that actually pays. Otherwise I'd probably have to go back to bartending or something. And, uh, and then I do some random bar gigs here and there. I, I honestly, you know, COVID has been a little bit tricky because, you know, the entertainment business and like all that stuff took a wallop. So I yeah. don't know. I'm considering like uh, maybe working in a record store again or getting a job at the post office. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like New York. I don't know if you've been following these things. People are like getting into bidding wars on rental apartments so they're bidding uh -huh. on a rental apartment you know which i'm yeah. sure it's just like i don't know it's it's a crazy world it just seems to get yeah, more, more expensive it is it is I, my friend just became a mailman at 52 i mean he was he did graphics and he auto stuff and that now he's a postman and he's he's he was always meant to do that but um yeah he's up in portland so uh yeah, I don't know. Maybe I saw that they were hiring too. So who knows? You know, I don't know. <laughs> it's like we do, we do what we do to survive in this dumb world, right? Oh, I know. Everybody's hiring because everybody quit their job or nobody wanted to work or something. Yeah, I think that's kind of like a sort of press thing. Like nobody wants to work some sort of like under fifteen dollar an hour job that they can possibly die from. It's like you know maybe pay them better and then maybe people will suddenly quote unquote want to work i don't know, <laughs> you know? Uh, people are just getting by with less and being okay with it um, yeah. yeah yeah but uh, i mean you've been you've been operating uh that store uh in long beach for many many years now i mean i was shopping Ooh. at that store when i was 16 and i'm 50 now so <laughs> what what year did you open uh 1986 yeah yeah dark dusty little stretch but there was always a smattering of different kind of stores on that street because the rent was cheap and there was lots of artists and residents a lot of my neighbors were professors at cal state art long beach they were um, art teachers because you could rent a whole storefront for probably 400 bucks maybe you know like thousand square feet or more so it was a pretty good deal so um, very little commerce on the street. I mean, there was a used bookstore um, slash kind of porn shop, Smitty's. And then the art theater was still happening. And oh, the art theater was, was even rolling back then. Yeah, yeah. Because they do all the revival kind of films. And uh, you get one of those big sheets and it would say every movie that was playing that month and then the rocky horror picture show yeah that's right they did the rocky horror picture show yeah. i think i knew some people that used to go there for that yes yeah. that was a big draw and then everything else was just there's al greenwood's bed sprint kingdom on the corner uh world famous and then there was um 
furniture refinishing places, but that was pretty much it. But you were the first like kind of true vintage spot on that block, right? Or, or uh, close yeah. to it. You kind of, I mean, because what's now it's known as uh, quote unquote retro row now, right? Yeah. So, that, I mean, do you, I feel like, you know, I could be wrong, but I feel like you kind of spearheaded that in a way. Yeah. I mean, I built it and they came kind of a thing, but granted, Fourth Street, because the rents were reasonable over the years from, you know, downtown to up to Belmont Shore, um, there was a smattering of stores because I used to shop them in the 70s when I was in high school. They're few and far between, um, but they were true vintage stores, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, um, rayon, fake light, you know, nice graphic curtains, things like that. Um, so when I came along, um, yeah, there was a couple little stores around town. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I was like, you know, whatever, mod, rude boy in that uh -huh. kind of 80s L.A. scene that had, you know, the untouchables and a bunch of bands. Sure. And obviously that was going a lot of scooter rallies and stuff. And that's how I ended up in your shop. By, I still have like 60s mock turtlenecks that have not oh. completely fallen apart, though. Like I said, you know, I was telling you the other day, I like had some old school hang tens that I'm trying to find now that I probably would have to pay hundreds of dollars for though i got it in some like downy thrift store back in the day for nothing oh, you know yeah. but maybe you could tell people about because you you obviously were starting in the late 70s so you had a few years ahead of me what was it like digging for for clothes back then um, um it was it was joyous i mean there was so much you know i mean if you were shopping in the 70s the 80s didn't exist yet so everything prior to that, you were pulling out 40s, 50s, I mean, home decor. That's why it was so easy to furnish your apartment with all this, this really cool shit. Um, I, there was nobody really shopping there, unfortunately, except people that couldn't afford to shop retail. And I was one of those people. I didn't grow up where my mom took me to the mall shopping all the time. Up until I was a teenager, my mom made all my clothes. And then I was wearing like my aunt's hand-me-downs because I was a tall kid. So when I started, you know, thrifting, I was like in junior high and it was great how much you could get for next to nothing. I mean, uh, the value Dutch village over um, in Lakewood, like the value village there, they would, um, over the loudspeaker, everything in the vintage section is 10 cents. And I would just go over there, just scoop it all up and, my dad had to build racks, like wooden racks from the ceiling in my bedroom because I bought so much stuff because she could buy so much for a dollar. And I just would use my allowance and, and do stuff like that. So yeah, it was fun. It's it's still kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, obviously, uh, and I've, I've talked to record dealers that have been in it, you know, for a long time. And sometimes they kind of get this sort of love-hate relationship with records, like, spending so many hours in warehouses and different people's collections do you feel like you know with the you know because you're like what 40 50 years in the game now right at this point yeah. like do you do you ever kind of get burnout or do you still kind of get excited if you kind of find that kind of dead stock type of stuff in a warehouse uh yeah, yeah how do you feel I, about it still i'm still i'm still excited about it because people are like what's the best thing you ever found well obviously i haven't found it yet and I'm going to keep <laughs> for it. But 
everywhere you go, every little place, you just never know what's going to be in front of you. And I've seen things dead stock that I couldn't even find vintage, things I didn't even know existed. So it's just the, the thrill of the hunt, you know, like any other game. Um, so I just keep going and trying to learn about new genres um, because my customers always wore true vintage up until the last few years. Now, we have a lot of people that have joined in that are retail customers. They don't know about vintage that much. So we're trying to teach them. Um, it's, it's not a bad time to be in the business. Yeah. And um, how did, you know, when you got started, I was, you know, reading that interview you sent me, uh, you, you kind of bumped into somebody when you were digging and, and uh, basically, you know, I guess the person that you, you were just met was sort of, you guys were looking for the same stuff. And then he kind of yeah. told you he was doing, he was reselling it to some shop in Laguna beach and he kind yeah. of took all the stuff that didn't fit you. So that was yeah, kind that, of like a moment for you, I guess, right? That you're like, oh, maybe I could do this, you know, or. Yeah, it was, um, I used to go to the Goodwill as is yard in Santa Ana in between my classes in college. So it'd be like the late seventies. And it was mostly just people that were buying to like ship back to Mexico, maybe a couple of dealers. And we were just kids and we were finding like all this great stuff. And he actually became my boyfriend and um, we, he was already in the business and he was selling and we'd go on these road trips and we'd take stuff to San Francisco and wholesale it. And I was waitressing and, you know, sometimes we were getting like, you know, a thousand dollar checks, which was unbelievable. Um, so after we, you know, broke up, we we're still friends and I would still sell to him. And then, you know, I'd go off on my own little adventures, but it's just like, I never really thought about that as a job. It's just like, I was loving all this stuff and buying it, even if it didn't fit me just cause it was cool. Yeah. I mean, that's the tragic thing sometimes. I mean, I'm a little bit smaller, so there was many times I was digging with my friends where we would find some crazy shirt, but it wouldn't fit them. And I'm like, you know, bring it over. <laughs> but then on the flip stuff, that's too big. And then it kind of looks baggy in a bad way, but it's kind of like you do come across things that you're like, wow, this is amazing, but it, it just doesn't fit me, you know? Yeah. And I, and I don't want to make myself sound like a hoarder or I'm trying to save these things. Like, you know, I'm that crazy cat lady, but I bring home clothes. Why well, I, I bring home cats too, but um, yeah, it's, it's a good way that I've been able to make a living out of my weird, desperate lifestyle, my obsession. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's wild. So, uh, you know, and it just keeps going, right? Like, I guess there's, different trends in almost like vintage clothes like like how how has it kind of changed over the years obviously you were digging before the 80s existed you know right. so i mean how, how when when you were had your shop in in 86 was it mostly like 50s and 60s stuff yeah. did you have 70s stuff really or no because i couldn't compete with the thrift stores you know i couldn't put that kind of stuff in like even now i do you know, Y2K, late 90s stuff, but I can't fill up my whole store with it because I'm competing with the thrift stores where anybody could go out and buy it. So I'm trying to find the best examples. But back opening the store, everything was so plentiful. It was just like getting out on the road and hitting those old stores. You know, the heyday of, um, of this austerity that was happening in the, austerity is that the right word? Um, things were really good, 
back in the late um, 40s, early 50s, people coming back from the war, taking over their families, businesses, and everybody was moving and having kids and a lot of stuff was in production. So there was a lot of stock. And then, you know, fashion changes and those people in those old stores, they had attics, they had basements and it was good stuff. They weren't going to throw it away. So it just sat there. So here I come along, you know, in the 80s and there's still stuff from 1947 that's sitting there on a shelf in their back room, you know, with the original price on it. So there was a lot of that to be that I could have, you know, and bring back and stock my store. And because of that, a good majority of my stock was dead stock. And now as, you know, time goes on, there's less of that, you know, you find little pockets of it, or I'm getting more into warehouse situations where somebody was a jobber or a wholesale and I have to buy it like lots of stuff, but that's okay. You know, it, there's not a lot of mom and pop stores. They were starting to disappear in the eighties with the onset of the, the Walmart's opening up and main streets changing. And those old merchants, their kids didn't want to take over the store. They're getting quite elderly. And I'm actually running into that again with like the second generation, like their kids are now in their seventies and they're still sitting on stuff. I'm mining a store in the deep South right now where somebody was, um, this man liked to go out and buy closeouts um, in the tri-state area. He just loved the game. And now his nephew took over and now I'm dealing with a niece because it's just like, what are they going to do with this stuff? Yeah, it's a I lot mean, of, I mean, it ends up being a lot of stuff, you know? And there's a certain shelf life to it. It's going to, it's starting to fall apart. Um, ah, interesting. Why, I didn't realize that if it was just sitting there, I didn't think, but I guess, yeah. you know, you know, moths, I mean, do, do bugs or how does it start to fall apart in a way then? Well, just the, the content of how it was made, the chemicals and stuff, like even like stuff we started bringing into the country in the, the 60s and 70s it was made elsewhere um, with synthetics it wasn't made as well as made in the USA kind of things here and you'd see like buttons popping off or seams that weren't quite sewn right it's the same kind of thing I mean storage unless something's put in an acid-free museum box with acid-free tissue paper you know it might not last like forever it'll turn different colors or the shop that I'm mining from right now um, you know exploding um, soles of shoes that are just crumbling, you know, and they look like Swiss cheese or pretzels. That's why it's kind of important to move some of that 90s and 2000s stuff. It was not made to last. Talk about early fast fashion, you know, it. Oh, so it, that's like, so the, so the, when you're talking about that kind of H&M fast fashion that actually goes back to the 90s, you're yeah. saying that's when it was sort of like the crossover between more quality clothes that were yeah. being manufactured from say like the forties to the seventies. And then it kind of starts, it starts to slide down in the nineties. So to Definitely. Speak. it's probably the late eighties. Um, there was some sort of trade agreements that were going on and it started like with automotive and trading over in Asia, but something changed there and it opened up some new markets, I think. And so the production just really ramped up. And a lot of the companies here, I think, the big major brands, you know, just went in droves over there and started making stuff. So it's like looking at labels to see where stuff was made. It's like, I get really excited now to find something's made in Korea, you know? So, 
and early China. I'm still trying to figure out what tags are the early China because that stuff's still okay. But the later stuff, not so much. It's just like, ideally for vintage, you want made in the US. Or there's some really cool stuff that came out of Europe, you know, all over the years. But then there was uh, Japan, really good. You know, Italy, France, um, Republic of Taiwan. You know, it just, um, you have to look at the labels and, and um, the, the, there's clues. It'll give you all the answers if you look on the tags. You know, the years and the fabric content and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I like about your shop that I, I really do take note when I go into different vintage places, I think this is kind of unique, is you have a tag that says this is a 1940s item. This is a 1970s item, right. which is kind of cool because even some of those Hawaiian shirts can be kind of deceptive. Like you think they're from the 60s, but they're from the 70s or, yeah. you know, it's 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 not always like even for, you know, I have a lot of clothes, but even I sometimes I'm surprised like, oh, really, it's from this decade. But yeah. uh, how do you how do you kind of do the research? Do you, do you know the companies basically? Like, how did you kind of get into the research to really find the exact years on some of this stuff? You I, know, especially pre pre internet. You know. Yeah, I think because I saw so much, so much has passed through my hands. You know, just reading old catalogs, just wearing the clothes, um, and now I have to like teach myself about all these other eras because. Like, you know, my customers were always true vintage people up until the last few years. So they knew their stuff. We didn't really have to talk about it. They knew what they were looking at. But people today, they're just going on site alone. They just think something's cool. So they really don't know. And I, I know from probably you going to thrifts too and just going down the row and you think you see a cool piece and you pick it out and it's like forever 21 because they copied something. You know, so yeah, that... but you can kind of tell the fabric is different. You know what I mean? I mean, that's definitely at least something with Hawaiian shirts that even if they yeah. have prints that look similar, you can kind of look at it and tell it's it's a later shirt, you know? Right. But people don't care. They just want to look, you know, and some of the younger generation, they kind of shop in committee. You know, they'll come in with their friends and, oh, you know, if you style it that way or that looks really cool and they'll buy it just because their friends like it. It's just, you should just put something up on and look in the mirror and go, oh yeah, and own it. But people are a little afraid to do that and have people point at them and tell them they look funny and it's, it's silly. Yeah. I mean, I guess a lot of vintage fashion, it's, it's, I don't know, for me, I, I always felt like it's just cooler and it's actually cheaper than new clothes. But I guess, you know, in terms of like, you kind of sort of have to own the look in a way, because then you're sort of yeah. dressing differently than people. If you're just yeah. doing vintage fashion all the time, you know. Or, yeah. Or the clothes are wearing you as opposed to you wearing the clothes, you know, you should feel comfortable and, you know, it's okay to mix vintage with new, you know, get some good basics and stretch your dollar a little bit. Even though vintage is getting more expensive, the earlier pieces are a lot more expensive and um, there is a whole different world out there with the internet and being able to shop yeah and i think like the sort of advent of these stores like buffalo exchange or you know whatever it's just like there's almost this kind of like 90s zeros sort of vintage where you'll go into those places and you don't really see a lot of 50s and 60s or even no. 70s stuff so i almost feel like there's this whole generation where 
they're kind of looking for stuff that's vintage but looks newer. And so then that's one of the reasons I like to go to your shop and other places that still are kind of a throwback to like, no, we're actually from that era where we have crazy 50s, 60s and 70s shit. And we might have some of the newer stuff, too. But I, 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 I that's why I find some of these newer, quote unquote, vintage stores to be like, you know, maybe I'll buy some jeans or something like I, I very rarely see stuff that I actually want. You know, at least for what I'm looking for, you know, it has to do with how people source and, you know, their taste, you know, and how they put it out, whether it's online or a shop or a pop up, it's their look, you know, and they're trying it out or they have clients or customers that want that. But a lot of times I'm like, why did you even put that on a hanger? You know, because there's 10 of them that I could go out and find in five minutes and it's not special. I try to make what I put out on my floor special. I get excited about it. I've seen so much stuff. Um, Yeah. It's like, it's curated in a way you're really trying to put the best of things. Like even like if you're getting newer things, then it's like some, you know, kind of funky, whatever rave wear or hip hop wear, if it's newer or something, it doesn't, it's not just some like cookie cutter, Here's like some quote unquote vintage old Navy, you know, or something. You yeah. Know? I'm just, yeah. I mean, we do a lot of um, movie and TV work. And so they're always looking for iconic things from all different time periods. So I always try to stock that everyday basic Sears catalog look anyway, because it, it suits anybody. And it really speaks of a time period. If you're you know, just rocking it yourself or you see it up on the screen. Yeah, I I think I saw some meme going around. It was like what people think of the 80s, you know, and it was like when, the, you know, with the Internet and it's like the Rubik's Cube and every kind of 80s thing that you would see in a movie set and then what the 80s were really like. And it was like some yeah. wood, you know, wood paneled walls and it's kind of like played. But the movie like movies have a way of like kind of being like oh it's vintage so let's get the best of all these pieces like people are dressing almost better than they were back in the day you know in real life but it kind of puts like a nice gloss in it because you do see crazy vintage shirts like i mean even in boogie nights i think like yeah. you know what's his face i forget it was mark Wahlberg, or whatever but he was like yeah. wearing like some nick nick shirt that has like a phoenix yeah, on the back of it or something it's like you know, it's not like you would even in the 70s say see people wearing stuff like that. But it's kind of cool that they, in a way, by trying to make their show sort of pop out, they are trying to get the best of these vintage pieces. Yeah, you it's know? their interpretation. And I think in the last few years, they've done a better job at their research, you know, as opposed, you know, it's like people coming in the store and wanting a 20s, like a girl wanting a 20s look and you show her an actual 20s cloche fitted hat and no 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 i want a headband with a feather in it or and you try to show her an actual 20s dress no 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 i want something with fringe i mean it's like straight out of thoroughly modern millie you know back in the 60s so people just get that stuck in their head or they come in and they're like i'm going to a disco party and then they pull out their phone and they show you a picture of some you know, cheap ass costume that's made in China out of plastic. And I'm like, really? That's what you want? Um, yeah, I don't have that. But I can show you something else and I can help you accessorize. Maybe you have something in your own wardrobe. We can kind of mix and match to get a look. 
Yeah, and um, in terms of like uh, digging for this stuff, you know, uh, you know, I in that interview you mentioned uh, you were you were going out to warehouses back in the day again pre like how would you find dead stock pre internet? You know, you were saying you were like you would go and look up like phone books in Kansas, yeah. which it kind of reminds me of like hardcore record collectors that would look for really rare forty fives by looking at the last name on a 45 um, and then going in the phone book of where the record was from to try and find a band member or a relative of the band member to try and, and it's like, it's kind of a crazy thing. You basically were sort of like, just kind of like, were you just kind of dialing things randomly in different yeah, states? And then hard. if you found something go out there, I mean, that's, that's yeah. pretty hardcore. <laughs> well, how it kind of started was I remember going on these thrift runs like in college and driving up to Seattle or something and just going thrifting and finding great stuff and furniture and coming back and selling it. And then I drive by these old stores and I'm like, you know, I bet you there's something in there, but I wouldn't stop. And I was thinking, even if I would have gone in there, I wouldn't have had the buying power to, to buy anything from these shops. So Back when I first opened my store, um, well, before that, I had sold things to Cowboys and Poodles, which was the premier, one of the premier vintage stores, all dead stock on Melrose back in the early 80s. And I befriended the owner, Paul, and he happened to stop in the store right when I opened. And he had been out of the business a couple of years, but um, he was regaling me with these stories about these places that he had gone and I remember once he didn't come in, but his boyfriend came in and was just telling me about all these places. And I just started taking notes going, and you went where? Oh, and what state was that? Well, he was a little out of it. It was the cocaine filled, you know, 80s. So he was just dropping all sorts of great stories. And so I think within the month I flew to New Mexico and went to this small town and there was two stores like right across the street from each other were just stock full of like jeans and sneakers and mannequin heads and it was just like whoa this is this is pretty fun so after that i used to go to the library in downtown long beach and just sit there on the floor and they had like the, all the the phone books and i would just sit there and just look up and just pick a state and so like, they had the all the phone books of all the states uh -huh. well, that's wild so that's yeah. how you would go that's that's some crazy pre-internet shit. You go to the library to look at phone books of different states. Yeah. Wild. That's crazy. Yeah, and so I would just sit there, and then I would go to the section about, you know, retail stores, or I'd look up optometrist, and I would just go through and pick the older names, like, you know, Davidson and Sons, or, you know, something like that. And then I would just book a ticket, and I would go, and then I would just start driving. i go to those stores, and then I would ask about another store, and Kansas is pretty flat, so you can drive really fast and go lots of places. And almost every town had an old haberdashery or an old drugstore or an old optometrist. And then one thing would lead to another. So there wasn't a time that I went out on the road and didn't come home with scores of stuff. Going to Arizona, there was so many old mining towns that had company stores in town. And when those mines started to go out, people were going to the shopping centers and other places, there was still stock sitting there, just good basic stuff. So it was a lot of fun. And because I wasn't necessarily 
always looking for the best of the best, where, which back in those days was to sell to the Japanese. So it was a lot of denim, a lot of workwear, and really mostly what we found was Levi's, Lee, and Wrangler. Um, and that was big bucks. And then all the advertising that went with that. Um, so when I, when was like that kind of like gene craze started in the 90s, um, basically? The 80s, oh, even in the 80s. Okay. Into the mid 90s. I mean, there was some very enterprising Japanese that came over all through the 80s. That Can you imagine them just driving around like I did, but going into these stores and nobody had looked at that stock for years. And all of a sudden they had crispy hundred dollar bills and they're offering the owners and they're like, oh, these stupid boys, let's take their money. So it, I was kind of in competition with them, but I, I hate to say it, it's a racial thing in a way because I'm the American girl. I went into a store once, I think in Kansas, I still have a, a Polaroid picture of the gentleman. Um, the store wasn't open. And what I learned is a lot of time the old merchants would live upstairs. So I went to the door upstairs at the apartment. This old guy came out. I'm like, oh, is that your store downstairs? And he, you know, was all kind of hunched over and kind of crickety. And he went and opened up the store and there was all sorts of stuff in it. And I always ask, I'm like, hey, does anybody else come in and ask for this kind of stuff? Um, like maybe somebody from another country. And he pointed up to the wall and he had all these memorials and all this stuff for like World War II and guns and things like that. And he just looked at me and he goes, once, only once did they come in and I told them to leave. So there was a lot of weird anger going on, you know, in certain. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure in some of those areas you're dealing with people who are probably pretty, you know, arguably racist. Maybe that kind of helps you that you were white to to buy that stuff, you know? Yeah, I hate to say that the stuff, I mean, I... I've encountered people that um, didn't want to do business with me. They thought I was Jewish. I'm Episcopalian, you know, and I'm looking at them going, I, I don't understand. What does it matter? You have something there. I would like to buy it, you know, and then as you get to know them and you understand, but there's a lot of prejudice, you know, when you're dealing with older people that have had a store that have gone there every day for 50 years. Um, so it was really a good education to be out there and meet with people. And like I said, the things that people would tell me, cause I'm, you know, a little pigtailed overall wearing a white girl with my cat eye glasses, you know, and they, they couldn't understand why I was there asking for that stuff. They wanted to know if I had family in town. Um, they wanted to invite me over for dinner, invite me, you know, introduce me to their sons. They just couldn't understand what I was doing, why I wanted to buy their old stuff. It was, it was really magical. <laughs> how, how was it like uh, being a woman in this kind of dealing game? Because I would imagine most of the vintage dealers were, were men, right? Did you kind of encounter well, sort of just, issues with that? Just the denim, the denim dogs were mostly men. But up until that point in the 60s and 70s, it was mostly women and gay men that we're dealing, you know, in the fine, you know, deco and, and 30s and, and 40s, you know, era. Um, so it wasn't until I really encountered the denim dogs. I remember coming back from these old stores and stocking like Levi's and Lee in my store. And I really couldn't charge much more than they were charging at, you know, some of the department stores, even though it was 25 years old and the Japanese were coming and buying it all. And then 
all of a sudden these guys started coming in and kind of like scoping out everything in the store. And this guy comes up and he's like, oh, my boss. Um, yeah, my boss wants to come in and meet you. Uh, I'm like, yeah, what? You know, he goes, oh, um, yeah, he likes some of this clothes you've been buying. And I'm like, okay. So this guy comes in and he's like, where are you finding all this old stock? And I'm like, oh, just out and about. He goes, well, I started asking him some questions about what the Japanese were asking. The Japanese were writing me letters from Japan because this before the internet and they were type writing letters, giving me shopping lists. And it was in bad English sometimes and I didn't understand what they were saying and they're asking for these biggies and double X's. And so I'm asking this man that came into my store that I figure is a dealer. And what is the, what the Japanese are asking me for all these things and he said, oh yeah well don't you know you just bring this stuff to me and i'll you know i'll sell it for you you know you don't need to you're not going to find this stuff around here anyway and obviously you've been finding this out of state and i'm like wait a minute i'm like i looked at him i go don't underestimate my ability to find stuff why can't you share with me it'll be beneficial to both oh no 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 couldn't do that turns out he's like a big denim dealer that was doing a lot of export and jeans and everything yeah, you, you deal with those kind of ruthless personalities in the record yeah. game as well, were, you know. There was, was a lot of money to be made. They were, they were making a lot of money back then. So they just didn't want me to, you know, thought I was stupid and didn't want me to cut into their Yeah, pride. it always becomes like um, they're kind of arrogant because they, they're trying to almost like sort of bully you out of another possible competition to their what they're making money on. It's kind yeah. of a bullying personality in a way. Yeah, and it, it didn't bode well with me. And it's just like, for them to tell me I wouldn't be able to find something, I was more determined. So I would still thrift um, back in those days in California. And I was just out on my thrift day and looking around and I came back a different way. And I actually drove by, which was a Western wear store I had never noticed before. And I got out and I went in, I'm like, hi, I'm Kathleen. Um, I have a store and I'm looking for some older displays. It seems like you've been here a while and, um, or any older stock maybe that you have. And the guy's like, oh, just a minute. And he goes upstairs and he walks down with a pair of 1950 Centennial um, dead stock Levi's with all the tags on it. And he goes, oh, you mean like this? And I'm like, yeah, where'd that come from? He said the funniest thing. He said, we used to have two stores. One was over in Southgate and this one was close to Whittier. He goes, this lady came in who said that she used to shop at our other store and went there and we were closed, came to the newer store and said she wanted to exchange these pants because they don't fit her husband anymore. So this is like 1986 and she's bringing in a pair of pants from 1950 and wants to exchange them for a bigger size. So the novelty, he bought them back because he thought it was funny and I ended up buying them and they were super collectible, you know, pair of pants. Um, but that was 15 minutes from my house. So once you get bitten with that kind of a bug, it, it doesn't really go away. You know, and I was able to amass a collection of that kind of stuff over the years. And it was enough to put a down payment on my house. Um, so I did okay. Yeah. And um in terms of like the stuff that you personally like, what are, what are some of your kind of favorite sort of brands or eras of fashion or, um, I, just, I mean, I know, I know f picking a favorite is hard, but, or, or even just, just some favorites, I guess, like, uh, like brands or labels or. 
Uh, it doesn't matter so much like who made it. It's just, if it, it speaks to me, you know, I like a lot of handcrafted things. I like a lot of personalized one of a time things like a, like a, a souvenir from a high school, like a, a jacket that everybody would sign on and then they would embroider on it. Um, that kind of stuff because it's so special and I can't imagine anybody getting rid of stuff like, like that. Like very personalized to the person that owned it basically. Yeah. Like a, an autograph kind of thing. I like that kind of stuff. And I've been wearing the same clothes, like, you know, all these years. So I tend to just go gravitate to that kind of stuff. I don't get to dress up that much in my day to day. So I pretty much, you know, just dress like Dennis the menace, you know, so <laughs> overalls and striped t-shirts because that's what I watched on TV when I was a kid and my mom made me dress like a girl and I wanted to dress like Dennis and not like Margaret so um yeah I, I have so many little collections and stuff and I feel very fortunate that I kept most everything because I'm not seeing it anymore and it still you know brings me you know great joy yeah I know? mean that's the thing with like clothes I feel like uh you know, I've sold some of my record collection and, you know, I have some stuff online, you know, in terms of like files and stuff just to have the music. But I feel like with clo some of the clothes, if I get rid of it, I don't know if I'll ever see it again. I mean, you know, it's obviously probably not as rare as some of the stuff you have, but you kind of realize when you're digging for a while, you're like, yeah, I've only seen this shirt once in like 20 years of digging. I, yeah. If I sell it or get rid of it, I'm probably just not going to find it again or whatever. Yeah, you know? and that's what I tell people too, you know. Uh you know, there's just pieces that, you know, if you kind of oh, sell it, you're just not going to, yeah. not necessarily I mean, going to find it out, you know, in the field in terms of a whatever. Yeah. If you're not, I mean, if you love it and you have room to store it, don't get rid of it until, you know, I mean, but things are going up in price and that's why people are selling collections and I'm, I'm sitting on a bunch of stuff. I mean, people should be really nice to me. You know? <laughs> Are people, Absolutely. first of all, I guess here's a good question, since you are in retail for many, many years, how are people? Are they generally nice? I mean, I'm sure you deal with a few personalities from time to time, but oh, yeah. people are generally I mean, nice, I hope. Yeah, what, I think so. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, there's some ruthless people like in any other business. I mean, it's a small network, actually. So, you know, I think if some shit goes down, I'm going to hear about it. Or I want to hear about it. You like, know, have, you, have you dealt with like toxic personalities that you and other dealers kind of like warn each other about or? Yeah, totally. I mean, and the thing is, things can go like coast to coast or around the world, like real quickly, you know, but there's so a, it's still there's, kind of a community like that in terms of like so. the, the vintage dealers and stuff. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, it's just these all these new people popping up now. I don't know everybody. You know, I can't can't possibly there's a lot of people are underground that only sell online or do you know pop-ups and you know good for them you know there's plenty of opportunities to sling your wares these days how do you feel about like the difference between like uh shopping in a hard shop and online like do you guys sell online do you guys no. have, you guys don't sell online at all no that's interesting i, I just I started a little Shopify during the pandemic, but I haven't really launched it. So maybe, but I think I would probably put 
stuff on it. I have accumulated a lot of stuff being in a building for almost 40 years. Um, toys, games, books, things like that, that just, you know, interested me. Um, so I would think I would start with that, if anything, just to start moving that along and then have a big auction one day. Um, but no, there's, there's lots of opportunities out there. It's just, um, people aren't that specialized um, and they're just like slinging a lot of stuff, just, just stuff. But I think that's what people want. They just want a little something and that's okay. We're stimulating the economy. Um, there are some good new vendors out there. There's some good up and coming people that are gonna have to carry the torch you know, into the future that are navigating it pretty good. Um, I can't do it forever, it's still fun. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to do anything else but waitress. Yeah, I know exactly. As I was saying, like maybe I'll get a job uh, at the at the post office or start bartending again. <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, in terms of the shop, though, I feel for me, like sometimes with the vintage sizes, the sizes kind of change over time. Like a large in the '60s might actually be a medium, or like I feel like you gotta like. I mean, I guess with some of these online things, they'll, they'll do measurements and measure stuff out. But I, I feel like for me personally, I want to try things on, you know, for things that I'm going to wear because things just, you know, fit differently, wear differently. Like, I don't yeah. know. Well, there's a not there's some inaccurate information out there, you know, especially even with an Internet search on something. If somebody's trying to describe something like a fabric content or measurements, you know. I constantly get people wanting to resell stuff to me that they bought online that wasn't their size or was misrepresented or has a broken zipper, you know, or something like that. So it's just like anything, let the buyer beware. That's why it's probably better that you do go out, especially if you're new to the game and shopping, you know, and, and go to a trusted vintage store or, you know, try the flea market, you know, just experiment a little bit with it and ask questions. That's the other thing. You know, the, the dealer should be knowledgeable as much as they can be and should be able to explain like how to wash something, you know, how to care for it. Yeah, I think I bought some hang tensure for you. Where you're saying this might bleed a little bit, you know, yeah. the washer, that kind of stuff. And do you do you guys ever get stuff where you fix it up? You know, like, do you is it worth buying things where, OK, you know, to do some repairs or like. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to buy things in good shape. Um, and every, oh, every, it's my mom's foster cat, tater tot. Um, so try to um, buy stuff in good shape. Everything's dry cleaned or hand laundered, but stuff happens, you know? I mean, in the wash or at the dry cleaners. Um, yeah, I repair stuff. I mean, if it's a killer piece, I don't even mind buying an older piece that has some flaws to it just because it's a really good piece. And some people don't mind holes and stains. I mean, when I think about all the, the merch that I left out there that was damaged over the years or things that could have been altered, that was a really good print. That you might have bought now. Yeah. Oh, now, yeah. I mean, now that a lot of the distress stuff is, is popular, you know, not for everyone, but um, we might go back the other way. You know, the, the cycles change yeah how so i mean how do the cycles change like what what are people buying now you know like do do things like kind of come back in vogue you know because i felt like you know again with some of this buffalo exchange stuff like the, the sort of 50s 60s 
70s stuff was kind of less in vogue but then also the prices seem to go back up on that stuff because it also is kind of disappearing like do you see cycles where things are hot for a while or yeah things things move really fast i mean fashion moves really fast i mean when when a company you know, fast fashion can come in and buy a vintage example for me and send it to china and have a turnaround of five days and get a sample or fabric and go into production it can be out in like what two weeks and they can write it really hard and then the vintage piece is like dead in the water you know so it's so like people actually seeing... don't want the vintage piece yeah right See, that's I'm... wild it's almost like people are like oh here's the reissue wouldn't you want the original record you know but it's not necessarily how people think i guess in terms of fashion too people are just too on trend and they're just too busy looking at what everybody else is wearing just for the cool factor that's what i said about you should just dress for yourself you know and not everybody else so um yeah there's cycles like right now there's a lot of especially coming out of the pandemic you know people might have gained a little weight didn't take as good care of themselves so they want something you know comfy and casual there's a lot of caftan dressing that's going on right now and it's a scary world out there. You know, people want comfort. They would just rather sit on the couch in a big Snuggie that's zipped up all the way over their head. I don't think that's gonna change. You know, the, the thrift stores now, there's what half, three quarters of store has athleisure wear, you know, leggings and, and stuff like that that's gonna fall apart. And then the other part of the thrift store is selling like snacks and um, underwear in packages. So, you know, there's less stuff being recycled in a way to the thrift stores because people are selling it themselves online. So it, it's just, it's a weird reset right now. Like, and I don't know where we're gonna go. We're still gonna have, you know, the brick and mortar, we're still gonna have the online. I think there's always gonna be a vintage category in everybody's closet now. And like I said, it's a good time to be recycling and be respectful of, you know, our earth. But um, I don't know what's coming next. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting aspect that like you're buying vintage fashion, you're kind of like, you, you know, but I guess people are gonna keep making clothes anyway, but it's like, do you always have to buy new clothes, especially if some of these vintage clothes do kind of hold up for many, many years, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the quality and in, in the workmanship, I think a lot of people sitting at home cleaning out their closets, you know, were just appalled at how much stuff they had that they bought, you know, crappy new fast fashion. But what was distressing to me is they was a survey of some sort asking people that are now embracing vintage if they would still buy fast fashion. And a good majority of the people I mean, like 60% said that they would still invest in fast fashion because of their job and how they had to be current in their look when they went to work. And that's just, that's sad. Yeah, no, it's kind of twisted. Like my wife works, you know, in a corporate environment and, uh, you know, there isn't really, I think there was one person she knew that was wearing vintage stuff, but it was all super, super, super squeaky clean because everybody else is wearing like new suits or something. So it's kind of this whole thing where it's not even about the style as much as you look posh for whatever clients you have to deal with. And yeah. uh, again, that's where maybe the sort of the funkiness of vintage is, you know, a little bit too far out for certain environments, which then I think drives 
this kind of corny ass fashion that's essentially kind of boring and essentially is going to fall apart but it's almost like that's what's needed in that work environment you know it's not really my world because like i said i've just been djing but it is kind of interesting when you know you're around someone that is also around that environment, you kind of get it. Like if I got a corporate gig like that, unless I had absolutely minty ass vintage suits and not all the ones I have are, and also kind of nondescript enough, you know, they can't be too funky or you're kind of like, so that's, you kind of understand, I think why that industry, but you know what the irony is, my wife has a lot of issues trying to find clothes she likes because You know, a lot of it's boring and, you know, but she also has to find something that she kind of likes and is going to work, look for the job. And she doesn't necessarily even like the stuff she's buying, but she has to get it for her job. So that's what's kind of sure. twisted about it. Yeah, I, I think if people take the time and and they have a trusted, you know, vintage vendor or follow somebody that, you know, caters to the look that, that they could still find something on the secondary market that that was vintage, um, even if it was, you know, true vintage, like what are we selling now? I mean, true true fashion right now, what is it? It's 2003, the looks that they're copying right now where you could go out and find something that was actually from that time period that's probably made better than what's being made today and, and fool some people probably and save a little money maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to necessarily go for this completely throwback look if that's not what's really merited for your job, I guess. But you can order it up on Amazon and have it at your house like that night and go to work tomorrow with a fresh look, you know. And Yeah, but then the whole thing is sometimes the fitting. You know, sometimes she does order stuff online and it doesn't necessarily fit right. So that's why, I mean, for me, that's just why I like to go to stores specifically for clothes just to make sure that it fits the way that I want it to fit. Totally. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. What do you see in the future? Like, I mean, you've obviously been in this game for a long time. Like, uh, you know, um, I think brick and mortar is still the way to go. And I think, I think a lot of these people maybe that are selling online or doing the pop-ups, maybe we'll get together and we'll see more collectives. I mean, granted, there's a lot of empty store spaces around, you know, and if they could pull their money, and open these emporiums of vintage, you know, and it's going to be a lot, it's going to be hard work, you know, to find somebody to run it. It'd be like an antique mall, but with clothes, I think that's very sustainable um, to take over some of the malls. Um, Do you think that I, antique malls are still relevant? I always feel like antiques, it's like, even like when I occasionally go into those kind of places to look for records, all the records are like crazy overpriced and they don't necessarily even have particularly good records, you know? So I don't know. Do you feel like those places are going to be able to be sustainable? Like these kind of old school antique malls that are still around? I think so, but you have to have a lot of energy and you have to have good vendors. Um, We have quite a few here in Long Beach that actually have true vintage in them, but that's not always the case. I mean, I, I went to, I, I've been to so many little rinky dink, dusty, you know, single owner, owner operated shops where you just kind of walk in and walk right out again, because you know, there's nothing for you there. But I, I think it's, there's all so many new people in the business and you can't just sell it online. I, I mean, I think you need to have another outlet. So I, I think it's going to be changing in the next few years. Yeah, we'll just have to 
have to see, you know, because people have been selling used clothes like, you know, forever, like the 1800s, you know, it wasn't really fashionable, you know, it was discards and things like that. And, you know, and then the, the hippies got a hold of stuff like in the 60s and they they were finding trunks full of Victorian clothes and velvets and and wearing them. And do you see like, I guess when you were starting, like you were talking about the vintage stuff going back to the 40s, 30s, like do you, do you is there still like even 20s, do people look really for actual 20s 30s 40s stuff still yeah yeah. i mean there's people that that is their lifestyle that to wear those kind of togs and they're looking for good examples to fit into their their wardrobes and how rare is that stuff that stuff must be getting rarer and rarer right yeah yeah i mean the 20s was oh it's 100 years that's that's true antiques yeah this stuff's out there but the prices that you know they're commanding at the retail level is almost comparable to what you would see at an auction price. Um, that's that's the other thing. But we're, we're seeing less and less of it. And how is the quality of those clothes? Because like I said, I kind of came up in this whole mod scene. So I was always kind of like maybe some 50 stuff, a lot of 60, 70 uh-huh. stuff. I never really was digging for things like that like do does that stuff kind of hold up or does it sort of fall apart over time when you're dealing with like an 80 90 year old garment you know well it depends on how it was stored and you know most things weren't stored properly so you can find a beautiful piece but it's just rags it's falling apart and it's like a cutter you can just hopefully repurpose it somehow you know turn it into something else but um yeah and what people kept back then you know, you you tend to find the same thing, a wedding dress, a dress. Oh, that's interesting. Wedding wear. dress as opposed to like just normal wear. Yeah. Oh, wow. Or your tuxedo, you know, or guys had one work suit and two pairs of pants. Um, another thing you don't, you find a lot of is baby clothes. You don't, the baby clothes are first baby. They keep all that stuff. Toddler clothes, yeah, but after that, you know, it's like hand me downs. They gave it to the other kids. You don't find a lot of and then they get destroyed clothes. or something, you know, over time. Yeah. So there's just certain things you always find in the states that aren't really sellable. Like now antique malls filled with glass and things like that. You know, nobody's buying those little dust catchers, you know, on to put on their shelves and houses are filled with that and people are doing their families dust catchers that's hilarious that's essentially what they are dust yeah. catchers yeah so it's the same thing with the clothes what you would find in a house what's left over you know we don't have attics and basements here in in southern california so a lot of that stuff got moved on a while ago where being on the east coast other pockets of the country you have places to to stick it away somewhere and have it yeah. be sort of forgotten about. Yeah, and, and generations of families living in the same community, you know, or taking over houses, or you got a barn, you know. I mean, the big trend, or this has been a trend for the past few years, is breaking into abandoned houses and just digging up old shit, you know, an old pair of overalls, work clothes, whatever, and then worry about, you know, falling through the ceiling and breaking your back or the owner finding you on the property and coming out with a shotgun. So there's some danger involved there. Really? <laughs> these are true stories. Yeah. These are true stories. Yeah. People will go to great lengths or, you know, there's this guy that, that allegedly 
um, says that he pulls things out of old minds. Um, so is that so? This is again. Is this like the hardcore gene shit where they're really trying yeah. to get these like ancient genes? And I guess they go for like thousands of dollars. I, I guess like these original Levi's or whatever. So do people yeah, actually or... go and mine? See, I heard that story too from somebody else. But do people actually go and find shit in these mines? Are these like high tails, or do people actually no, score? No, it, it's actually in California. I they have pulled stuff out that they have sold to Levi's. They found some really cool examples of stuff. You know that like the earliest genes kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff, and that makes sense. Just like me going and looking at the library you know they're just going back a little bit farther yeah that's hardcore digging <laughs> when you're going into a mine looking for jeans that's hardcore yeah digging. <laughs> i actually did this um show with uh jeff goldblum on his series his collector series and the one i did was does called, he collect vintage clothes no but he just did that show where um and i'm escaping the name of it right now world according to jeff goldblum where he explores things whether it's like bicycles or um motorhomes and he did one on denim that i got to do and i did a little interview with him at rose bowl and there was one of those denim dudes um one of those mine hunter guys that was on it with me so you really need to watch it um, it's quite amusing and um, it's all in the editing. That's what I'll say. Um, what about other scenes that have kind of come up? Like, I guess t-shirts have become more and more like yeah. expensive. Like, uh, so, cause I remember talking to you the last time I was back visiting my folks and you had gone to some t-shirt shows. Yeah. So what is that scene like? Is that a whole um, other scene basically within yeah, this kind of vintage that's, world? That's a whole other thing. Um, it's, it was really fueled by the the pandemic, I think, and people going out and sourcing and people with spare time and online searches. And, and a lot of the people, granted, there are some people that are a little bit older, but a lot of 20 year olds, you know, that or teens, especially going out at Rose Bowl and, and buying stuff and flipping it, you know, people with, you know, a little extra scratch, um, building up a little, you know, um, you're talking oh, about, by the way, for people who don't understand, that's the Rose Bowl flea market, which I yeah. guess has been going on. What is it? The last Sunday of the month or when? when uh, second happen? Sunday second of the Sunday. month. Yeah. yeah. And that's been going on for many years. I remember digging for records there in the 80s, right? I guess it's been. Yeah. Like, I think that's I've been going, going for a long time, right? I think I've been going there steady for like 45 years or something. I love my bowl. Um, but it's turned into like, uh, there's so many t-shirt vendors out there. Um which is great because that's obviously what people are looking for. And, um, but a lot of it is eighties and nineties, mostly nineties and two thousands and they're oversized. And I don't know, I think a lot of those guys are buying back kind of their childhoods. You know, there was a lot of divorce in the nineties and a lot of kids lost their stuff um, in storage. Um, they think it was a bad time to grow up. I don't think it was such a bad time, but it, it's interesting what what they they like and what they're flipping and the money that they're getting for it. But then I can scoop in there and buy their leftovers because things I don't deem valuable because it's older or it's smaller or they don't understand the graphics on it because it doesn't speak to their customer. So I'm cool with that. There's avenues that we can all explore and, and sell in. 
but it's um mostly so, they, so it's like larger so there's even a size issue right like you were saying yeah. oversized so they kind of tend for larger t-shirts then that's what was made back you know in the day i mean the 80s and 90s a lot of the 2000s stuff is is oversized you know and what i don't get about that part of the market right now is there was lots of that stuff made i mean how valuable can all of that be when you're selling stuff for you know hundreds and hundreds of dollars there's got to be more of that now granted when some of that you stuff think it's like up, a bubble then you know if there's that much stuff or in, in a way but i think there's some really good vendors doing that you know and maybe they'll they have good ethics and they they grow in the community that they can go on you know they're starting to get a little more interested in some of the later you know the the earlier stuff um but i don't know we'll see it just like they just do the same thing they go shop at um they thrift or they go to the as is yards like every day there's they post all sorts of videos about their scores and what they bought and the competition and it's just this weird boy network it's kind of amusing to watch um from afar because <laughs> i don't have to talk with them when you, you, know? when you say like a boy network again like being you know a woman in the scene um what is that what exactly does that mean for for you well they don't pay any attention to me which is fine you know i mean i'm trying to learn from them but they don't pay me any any mind you know because which is kind of funny because I, I think you're kind of a queen in this like you're kind of a don you've been in this game for so long you know but i guess it doesn't yeah. matter right it doesn't matter for what i do they're not interested in what i do you know they'll come creep around in my store looking for me to make some mistake on something and you know pull their phone out to look and see how much something's going for i'm fine with that my, i'm moderate in my pricing if you're going to make money on me Go, go right ahead. Let's just keep keep it rolling here, you know? I want to go buy something else that I'm excited about, you know, not, you know, put it up on some t-shirt auction and, you know, see who the highest bidder is going to be. And Yeah, again, it kind of like, because I feel like your prices are, you know, you have dope shit and they're fair prices for what it is. It's, but it's almost like there's an aspect of it like, oh, I got this amount. It almost becomes like uh again sort of the aspects of that ruth the ruthless side of reselling and collecting where it's like trying yeah. to get the maximum amount of some for for something as opposed to like hey this is a dope piece and this is what the price is and blah 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 yeah and not every not everybody's like it like i said there's a lot of up and coming people and that's why i've been trying to venture out more and go to some of these shows in other parts of the country where there's a lot of underground vendors that are showing their wares and i like to see you know what's happening yeah i mean you're still trying to educate yourself even though you've been in the game for a long time which i think is good because it's easy to be like oh i know everything i've done this forever but actually things just keep changing anyway so you kind of need to kind of just see yeah. where people are at you know yeah i mean i know a lot of people that got out of the business earlier on that didn't want to deal with stocking their stores with 70s or 80s they couldn't even comprehend it you know they want to pretty vintage pieces and it's just that's that's not the way it works anymore you know you have to i'm constantly trying out new things otherwise i'd get really bored you know um do you ever like buy stuff and sit on it like were you were you getting stuff in the 90s that was like stuff or 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 you know 
Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, if I where you're like, good- oh, this isn't this isn't quite ready, but maybe in ten years, someone will will start to realize this is the kind of shit from this era that people would want. Yeah, I mean, even like one or two years to pop something out, you know, or you just trickle a little bit in the store and then it might take a while, you know, for something to catch on. Like I've got a lot of uh, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, like baby fat kind of girl jeans that, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily touched if I saw them out, but I've got a, a horde of dead stock ones and they've slowly been selling and now they're just flying out the door because that's what my customer sees online and that's what they want to wear. And, um, but but when you first started putting them out, it wasn't necessarily, that's what I'm saying. There was like even trends within vintage fashion. Like probably when you first started putting it out, it was maybe a little bit ahead of whatever the curve is, but sometimes people come around to like, Oh, this is what we want. But then because you have some dead stock stock, you actually have it. You know. For the people that were looking at it when I first got it, that was the lady that rolled in from another state that was still wearing them. And she's like, oh, well, if I need a new pair, I can come here and get them. You know, so it's like the balance. It's like a fine line, you know. So, yeah, just always playing around with it. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I always look for since I've been living in New York for 30 years is going back and looking for those West Coast brands like Ocean Pacific uh-huh. and Hang 10. And, and those seem to be kind of slightly disappearing because that was stuff that I would find in California for cheap. But I'm finding it harder and harder to find that stuff even out in California now, you know. But... Right. Oh, I love that stuff. I grew up with that. You know, that's what we all wore. I mean, my my junior high yearbooks are filled with that when I was on the the surf team, you know, I love that. Lightning bolt, hang ten, op, and lightning bolt or whatever. Yeah, you'd think you'd find more of it out here, you know, like in Lakewood or something, but you you really don't because the family would have dumped it, you know, already. Um, you know, you move out of the house, your mom's not going to take care of your stuff. I hate to tell you, I tell my friends that all the time. If you really want to keep your stuff, you need to take it with you. Because at some point your mom's just going to donate it. It's going to be gone. Yeah. So go get it now. There's some there's some some quality advice there. You know. And another thing I really like is uh like those uh like Nick Nick all those like really uh-huh. crazy pattern disco shirts. I remember you had some disco shirts. It was like really wacky. I forget. It was maybe Kensington or one, but it had like Mickey Mouse. It had like different, huh? like, right. yeah, like, uh, I don't know. There's just, I mean, that's the thing about vintage clothes. There's just some really, really wacky stuff out there. It's like a crazy 70s disco shirt, but then it has a random Mickey Mouse thing on, <laughs> you know, like, like yeah. what, who's, whose idea was this to put this out in the world? But, and then there's things that are actually just weird and ugly, but when it's kind of like weird and amazing, those are kind of some of my favorite pieces. Yeah. You know? I mean, cause you're all just sitting around in the design room and well, back then it was like the crazy oh, late seventies, early eighties, cocaine filled days, you know, at the office. And so we would come up with some whack things, you know? Yeah. I have some true stories from back in those days of friends that, that dad and uncle were in manufacturing. So that did happen. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I know we've been talking for a while, but um, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to talk about or mention. Um, you gave us a playlist here. Do you want to talk about some of the things you put on the playlist or maybe even talk um, about because I sort of came into your store sort of through a vintage, you know, a music scene, uh-huh. you know, subcultures. I mean, do you still kind of have a lot of different 
people that are like sort of musical subcultures coming in or I think so yeah I mean I, well, I feel I'm, like there's always been like a sort of thing with music and vintage vintage music vintage clothes that kind of like whether it's like rockabilly or any kind of those subgenres, it's sort of like you have the fashion to match you know well we we used to have so many places you could go hear live music you know in Long Beach and so many clubs that were so accessible and so many events that were going on. So it was just like, it was like a crossover, all the different people, whether you're a mod or rockabilly. And so you were always looking for, you know, new gear to wear and you became friends with all those people. So the store was always kind of a gathering spot. And a lot of people that I've employed over the years were in the music business or worked at record stores or were in bands. So it's all very harmonious, you know? So my playlist is just probably, I, I, it was a lot easier to do than I thought, but I forgot the names of a lot of things, but it was just my growing up and things that just speak to me. And if I hear it come out of a speaker, I have to turn it up. And it reminds me like of a certain time. I guess I could have added, I, I'm still interested in a lot of new indie stuff. And because at the store, we play just so many different kinds of music, you know, especially like Uncle Frank works at Fingerprints. So he curates our Saturdays. So never know what he's going to bring in, you know? And he's known me for so long. So he tries to slip a lot of this stuff in for, for me. Especially stuff, stuff that he, he, he thinks you would like, basically. But um, I don't know. What do you think about my playlist? What does it say to you? Well, I mean, I mean, you have like, yeah. I mean, you have like Iggy Pop. You have like Raymond Scott. It kind of is like, you know. It just remin it is reminiscent of like stuff you were like Raymond Scott Powerhouse is like obviously reminds me of like Bugs Bunny cartoons and That's stuff my like theme that. Song. That is <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's classic. It's classic. Um I really appreciate your time and, and obviously all the clothes I've gotten from you over the years, you know, my uh my primo Hawaiian shirt and all those nice things, you know. Oh, I mean well, one of awesome. the one of the real key things is, you know, when I was a kid my dad like spent money you know and uh basically got our family a trs-80 computer you know when it came out and then you had a trs-80 computer camp shirt so that was one of my i mean like you know that's why i'm saying every once in a while i'll go into your shop and i'm like wow this is absolutely amazing i must buy this you know yeah, like, like when are you going to get from? a trs-80 like 1980 computer camp shirt you know? Well, another thing that was a trip that I got from your shop was, you know, I went to like uh, St. Joseph's, you know, whatever, like grade school. Right. And uh -huh. I played baseball. And at the time in the, you know, whatever, late 70s, 80s, the Houston Astro jersey from back in the day that had that kind of weird rainbow stripe, mm -hmm. you know, the orange, di different shades of orange and whatever. And that was like our kind of grade school uniform, but it was in different colors. Like we had one that was in, I think, blue. And I think I played another team that had it in green. But totally. but they yeah. but the kind of cool thing is they were generic because they were like grade school uniforms. Like they obviously mm -hmm. weren't going to use the, at the Houston Astros logo. And I remember going into your shop and you had dead stock. You, I actually yeah. bought two of them because they were like pretty reasonably priced. I think they were under $20, but it was yeah. like, it was like the generic grade school version of the Houston Astros jersey, right. but with no Houston Astros thing. And I'm like, wow, yeah. this is like, again, talking about even like songs, it's like, wow, this is like 
my grade school baseball uniform, yeah. you know? <laughs> and it's just like you. wacky shit like that, you know? Yeah, it brought up a fond memory, you know? You went right there to that schoolyard. Yeah. Know? So I'd like to be able to do that for people. Yeah, know? or even something as simple as, you know, I have these vintage suit jackets that I don't necessarily have the pants for, right? So then I was on the hunt to get just some nice black suit pants that you could then wear with any kind of suit jacket and have it kind of work again for because you know if you're DJing a wedding I can't look too wacky but I do uh -huh. wear vintage suits it's kind of what we were going back to that corporate thing before you know you kind of have to look sure. professional but I can look a little funky because it's not like I'm going to a banking Could job I'm the DJ at the wedding but I can't I don't, but I don't want to look too pizzazzy where otherwise people think oh it's that guy you know so but you know it was really crazy it was very hard to find nice black suit pants that didn't have some stupid 80s 90s right. pleats in it or something like that you know just nice basic pants and and i kept thinking like oh i'll go to a thrift store i'll find it for like 10 bucks but I, eventually i'm like i i remember seeing you had a pair and another shop had a pair and i think they were like 50 or 60 bucks but i'm like i have to buy this because this is like yeah. you know so just even sometimes basic stuff like that which you're talking about where it's like it's a nice vintage piece that's also very wearable in public yeah. you know because sometimes i think that's the other side of the vintage stuff it's not just the wackiest disco shirt it's just sometimes those understated shirts that just have a certain cut or a certain thing oh. that really makes it unique and I don't think maybe people don't see it, but like if you've seen enough vintage things, you're kind of like, oh, that's really dope. That's just really tastefully done, you know. But and I think that's some of the stuff that I miss with modern fashion or fast fashion is they kind of miss the subtlety of some of those really dope, like understated vintage pieces, you know. Yeah, that's kind of the, the joy of the good design, though. It's just kind of sublime. It's just there. And you don't even realize that it's just a whole package. It's just there. It's not to be picked apart. It just works. Right. It just works. Exactly. You don't even know why it works, but you're like, oh, that's dope. That's that just, yeah. But anyways, thanks so much for uh, talking and all that stuff. No. You've been listening to Small Changes, Stark Reality on jasoncharles.net. To hear the exclusive Stark Reality playlist from Kathleen Schaff, go to episode 52 of Stark Reality on the Stark Reality page on jasoncharles.net, podcast network, music channel, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to Stark Reality and Stark Reality playlists on your favorite podcast platform. jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep. Very, very deep.